A Nation Changed with Kurt Fernley is sponsored by HireUp. A registered NDIS service provider, HireUp is Australia's leading online platform where people with disability can find, hire and manage their own support workers. To find out more, head to hireup.com.au. That's h-i-r-e-u-p.com.au. What do you remember most about the last 10 years in Australian politics? Um, there were a lot of Prime Ministers. I don't follow a lot of politics, to be honest. Probably, like, refugees, the economy during COVID, terrible leaders that we've had. What do you remember about Julia Gillard? Not much. I think, I mean, for me, the most memorable bit would be the first female Prime Minister. Julia's speech in the Parliament about misogyny is probably the thing that stands out for me most about Julia. Do you know much about her role in getting the NDIS up and running? Uh, no. No, I don't. I remember she got a little teary, I think, and um, you could tell it was something she really cared about. I mean, I should know a bit more because my wife works in disability. The last 10 years in Australian politics have been a whirlwind, to say the least. We have rushed through five prime ministers, debated same-sex marriage, struggled with immigration and wrestled our way through policy on climate change. But one of the biggest social reforms in a generation, a quarter of a trillion dollars over a decade, the NDIS, it rarely even gets a mention even though it's a huge part of the last decade in politics. I'm Kurt Fernley, and this is A Nation Changed. We left the last episode at the launch of the NDIS. It's June 2013, and Julia Gillard is the Prime Minister. Gillard was the person who introduced the NDIS bill to Parliament and announced an increase to the Medicare levy to fund the scheme. To her... The scheme was a critical issue for each and every Australian. Anybody in Australia could have a child with a profound disability born into their family. Anyone as an individual could have an accident, an illness, an injury that gave them a profound disability. Part of what enables us to go about our lives with confidence and fortitude is knowing that if something really difficult happened, then there would be a landing place that was, you know, welcoming and provided support. But just a few days before the NDIS was due to launch, Australia fell into a political frenzy. Julia Gillard was kicked out as Prime Minister and replaced by Kevin Rudd. Australia lost one of its fiercest advocates for the NDIS just days before the scheme was set to go live. Jenny Macklin was Minister for Disability Reform in the Gillard government. One of the things that often happens as you change leader is that the whole cabinet gets thrown up in the air and people get moved around. And uh, so ideas that might belong to a previous minister, you know, get dropped. I was nervous because it's that sort of instability that, you know, you can just lose a big idea that you were, you've been working on. You need uh, stability. But while the Prime Minister changed, Jenny Macklin stayed in her role as Minister. 
fact that I stayed there was positive, not to make too big a deal of it, but I think that stability was important. Those of us who cared so much about the NDIS were also fortunate that both Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard were very supportive. So we didn't have a problem at the leadership level. With an overhaul to the disability support system set for a few days' time, Jenny Macklin was confident that they were ready. But others in the disability sector, they weren't so sure. Look, it was a, it was a time of incredible mixed feelings for me. There's always, in my view, with reforms of this size and complexity, room for improvement. There was an element to which the agency wasn't really ready to do it. I guess I'm being critical of the fact that the ideology was maybe one step too far for the government at that time. In this episode, we look back at the events following the launch of the NDIS. How did this messy period of politics affect the scheme? Was Australia even ready for such great social reform? And what crucial pieces of the puzzle were missing before the NDIS even went live? So Julia Gillard's just lost the job and it's only a few days off launch. Where are you at this point? I was probably still um, still telling them that they hadn't done it properly. John Walsh was a commissioner of the Productivity Commission's inquiry into the NDIS. He helped write the report that was critical in shaping the scheme. To roll out the NDIS, the commission recommended starting with launch sites. Four places around the country were chosen. People with a disability living in those areas had an opportunity to apply for the scheme. The government announced the launch sites would go live on the 1st of July, 2013. I remember the when they announced Newcastle as a rollout area or a launch site. For me, it was exciting to feel like we were in ground zero. How did it, how did it feel for you when you entered into that It was certainly one of those moments that I look back on, obviously now, and realise just how wonderful and how much of an impact it has had on not just myself, but other people with disabilities. This is Scott Taylor. Scott grew up in Newcastle and was one of the first people in the country to apply for the NDIS. That first day, I look back on it and I'm like, okay, like this, this is a game changer it's really given me personally a sense that people with disabilities are now seen as equals within the community generally and we're, and we're no longer ostracised. Being from Newcastle myself, I was stoked when the launch site kicked off in my neck of the woods. It felt like all of this talk of an NDIS, it was finally becoming a reality. But as the launch sites went live, John Walsh had some serious concerns. He was worried there were fundamental problems with the legislation. I wrote a letter to the Prime Minister's Department in early 2013 that said, I thought that the legislation as drafted was very risky and would would have a lot of problems. It hadn't done the work required to ensure that the system would be sustainable. So for me, the building blocks were not in place from day one because they didn't consult with the right people in between 2011 and 2013. John says there were major recommendations from the Productivity Commission report that weren't even in the legislation. One was an independent task force where insurance and disability experts 
would oversee the scheme. That didn't happen. After we delivered the report, the implementation was managed by an NDIS task force, which was a government task force within what's now the Department of Human Department of Social Services. It was predominantly a task force of government officials from the Commonwealth Government, with senior officers working groups from governments all around Australia. Why did the government keep that task force in-house? I don't know. I, I think it was a mistake. I think that to do justice to the spirit of the Productivity Commission, the independent nature of the NDIS should have been introduced from day one. How do you think that's impacted the scheme? As I said, I had mixed feelings. I felt that the time between 2011 and 2013 when the trial started was was not as well used as it could have been. I'm, I'm deeply grateful that the scheme was implemented, but really frustrated on the other that we had this great opportunity that we didn't seize properly. The report also recommended the scheme should launch in July of 2014, a year later than announced by the federal government. The government had made the decision to bring forward the launch of the scheme 12 months from the date that was recommended by the Productivity Commission. David Bowen was the first CEO, the first boss, of the National Disability Insurance Agency. The NDIA is an independent body that implements and oversees the scheme. In 2012, government officials asked David to write a report on what needed to happen to make a July 2013 launch date a reality. The subtext to that question really was, was it feasible to be able to do it uh, by that date? My report said it will be difficult and the times will be tight and the amount that has to be done will be very significant, but it is feasible to be able to launch by that date. David spent the year leading up to the launch working hard to meet this target. But not only was the launch a year early, two initial launch sites turned into four. David remembers the lead up to the launch clearly. It was chaos in the agency offices. I knew the first quarter would be difficult simply because all of the things that needed to be done had a compressed time. So we concentrated on getting doors open, our offices set up, Getting operational guidelines was tight, getting the staff on board was tight and getting them trained. Some of my staff remind me they were there themselves personally vacuuming floors of offices on the Sunday before it opened on the, uh, on the Monday. Why, why was it brought forward a year? The government went a year early because they had an election in September 2013 and they were not confident that if it wasn't started before then, that it wouldn't just be put on hold by an incoming government. And I think that was a reasonable apprehension for them to have. With the launch fast approaching, John Walsh was offered a spot on the NDIA board, but he didn't know if he should take it. And again, I I was... Greatly honoured to be asked, but I was worried that the thing wasn't set up properly. I thought long and hard about going on the board and ultimately I felt probably arrogantly that I was better off being on the board trying to influence the way the scheme rolled out rather than being outside the board shooting unproductive arrows. To be, on- to be perfectly honest, my whole time on the board was a time of thinking... 
should I resign from the board? On July 1st, 2013, the NDIS launch sites went live. This is a massive, massive cultural change and organisational change and a huge change for the people who worked in disability care and support. The main aim at launch was to collect as much information about people as possible. So things are collected like disability type, age, severity, family circumstances, where do you live? So we wanted to understand what people wanted to get out of the NDIS, what was their individual goal, if you like. Scott Taylor says it was the first time in his life that someone would ask him about his goals. Just sitting down with someone and having them ask me, okay, Scott, what are your goals for life? What do you want to achieve in the next 12 months? Like, for so long, people with disabilities have never been asked that. Honestly, I had to kind of sit there for a couple of minutes and kind of in silence and just really absorb that mentally and just and really just kind of go deep into my soul almost and just go, okay, what do I want out of life? Straight out of the gate, David Bowen, the boss of the NDIA, felt like things were moving in the right direction. Once we got rolling, we validated to some extent the rationale of an insurance scheme. But John Walsh, he was worried about one of the agency's first decisions. What the agency did was develop a support catalogue, um, which I was never really in favour of, but nevertheless we have a, a support catalogue which is a seven or 800 item list which tells people what they can choose to spend their money on. My reaction to that was that immediately defines the model as a service model rather than a person model because it's basically not allowing choice and control, it's governments defining what services people will use. As more and more people started applying for the scheme, the NDIA started facing its own challenges. But I wasn't confident that we had it well enough in place to be able to push through the volume of people that were expected in that first quarter. It was a, a resource limitation. People were, were going to be very much flying by the suits of their pants for that first quarter. David says it wasn't just the NDIA who weren't ready. The problems which were always known came home to roost in the service provider sector was not set up to grow at the rate it needed to grow, and particularly with the number of additional care workers that were needed to be able to provide the significant increase in services that people would, would want. It was also obvious very, very early in the piece that the service providers were struggling to come to grips with a completely different way of service delivery. Uh, they were no longer being funded um, directly. While this wasn't the agency's responsibility, David felt like they were left to pick up the pieces. This was not in the agency's area of responsibility. The concept of doing a detailed workforce plan, the concept of doing a transitional strategy for the sector were matters that were matters of policy, if you like, that first needed to be agreed at that ministerial level. 
on which the work simply wasn't done and wasn't done for, for a number of years. As the NDIA looked to the government to fill in the blanks, Australia was headed towards a federal election. Jenny Macklin says things weren't shaping up well for the Labor Party. I mean, obviously, uh, I knew that we were in a very difficult political position, that we were unlikely to win the election. Jenny Macklin was right. The coalition won the election and Tony Abbott became Prime Minister. While she was disappointed the NDIS wouldn't roll out under a Labor government, she wasn't too worried about handing it over to the Liberals. Uh, No, I wasn't worried at that point because uh, Mr Abbott had voted for the legislation, the Liberals had supported it, and they weren't saying that they were going to do anything negative to undermine it or uh, cut it in any way. But a changing government worried others. Bruce Bonahady, the architect of the NDIS, was concerned about one announcement in particular. The Abbott government planned to change the name of the launch sites to trial sites. That certainly gave me cause for concern because the term launch sites doesn't connote any sense other than that you're launching the scheme and that you're starting it, whereas trial site indicates that you've got to perform and there might in fact be question marks. There were other red flags too. It was becoming clear to the NDIA that there were nowhere near enough workers to support the launch sites, let alone a full transition to the NDIS. And not just workers at the agency, but across the disability sector. The Productivity Commission had looked at a number of different estimates as to what the workforce shortage might be like, and the agency firmed that up in 2013 through 2014, we said it would need approximately 95,000 additional full-time equivalent workers and probably about 120,000 actual bodies, given the high level of casual and part-time work. We told the government that that would need a lot of attention to build that type of workforce and that in doing so, given the NDIS was national, they should be looking at a, a national training program to ensure that all of these people coming into the care sector had the appropriate training, disability awareness training, any specialist training that might be necessary for working with uh, different types of uh, service provision and that that should be all done before the full-scheme rollout and it simply wasn't done. In 2020, there is still no national framework to expand the disability workforce. The NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commission, the scheme's watchdog, is working on a workforce capability framework, but it's still being developed. At the same time, Bruce Bonahady says the agency continues to face its own staffing challenges. The NDIA, like every government department, has staffing limits. When the work was done by the Productivity Commission on the expected number of staff for the agency, they estimated it would have a staff of about ten or 11,000. And we were told that the scheme would have a maximum staff number of under 3,000. So this was a very significant staffing cap. The NDIA staffing caps were introduced by the Abbott government in the 2014 budget. Bruce says they've plagued the agency ever since. 
I mean, this was part of a broader desire by the Abbott government to keep government small, make it smaller. The problem for us was we were an agency with no staff at all, or very few staff, and we needed to grow in order to deliver this landmark scheme. While there were problems getting the scheme off the ground, John Walsh says they learned a lot too. The trial sites, as they were called, in the end, they had been useful. They were not designed as recommended by the Productivity Commission, so they were probably not as useful as I would have hoped them to be, but they were useful in that we learned a lot of lessons. By the end of 2015, the federal government had signed full rollout agreements with most of the states. They then set a national launch date for the 1st of July, 2016. But when the day came, John remembers they were still a long way off being ready. The rate of entry and transition was massive. The work that was being asked of the staff of the NDIA, particularly the planners, was gonna be very difficult. To move people from the old system and onto the NDIS, telephone triages were introduced. They were like a first planning meeting, just over the phone. A decision was taken to roll out a telephone triage process, which just was a disaster. The process of telephone triage basically wasn't personal enough. People weren't feeling that they were adequately listened to on entry to the scheme. The telephone triages weren't the only problems at launch. Greg Bruce, an NDIS participant from the Hunter region in New South Wales, says when he was first approached about the scheme, no one knew what to do with him. They held local meetings to inform people in the local town about you know, the NDIS, what was involved, the benefits and stuff. To myself, it was a negative experience. I'm visually impaired, so I don't drive. I saw my needs as pretty simple. You know, I just needed to get from A to B, maybe C and back to A again. But that seemed to be very hard. They couldn't answer our questions, which we thought were pretty simple questions. It felt like, you know, they were just brushing us aside. The NDIS was off to a rocky start. Not only did things need to improve, but there was a growing concern from the disability community that the launch was rushed. Jenny Macklin defends the decision to move fast. Maybe I would have liked to have started earlier, if anything, uh, because so many of the things that needed to change had to be done. While the NDIA was under the pump, Bruce Bonahady agrees. Starting early was better than not starting at all. This was always a scheme where you needed data to improve and refine the scheme. I felt we had done as much as you could possibly do before launch. And so I don't feel... The launch of the scheme was rushed. Uh, I feel that the timing was right and we were as prepared as, as we needed to be. David Bowen has a different take. One of the problems with commencement on the 1st of July, the intent had always been under the Productivity Commission's model that you would also build a strong what was called Tier 2. What was intended was to have someone who was not only providing assistance to the person but had a knowledge of the different impacts that different types of disability may have and how they could be accommodated in the plan. Understanding what's quite critical, what outcomes they wanted to achieve. When David was CEO, over 15% of NDIA staff identified as having a disability. 
and more than half had a family member or were a carer for someone with a disability. You know, they are way, way, way beyond what's general inside Commonwealth or indeed any public service or indeed most corporate organisations. And to be honest, they were well above what most disability service providers had in terms of their own staffing. But David admits the agency fell short in meeting everyone's needs. We made some attempt, but perhaps didn't do it well enough to accommodate in our staff people who had expert knowledge on different disability types and to make sure they were working in that area. Now, we did do some of that where it worked, it worked well, but we operated probably too much on a generalist approach to it. John Walsh believes if the federal government had listened more closely from the start, a national rollout wouldn't have been as strapped for time. I feel like for the first three years of the scheme during trial, the scheme was very tightly controlled by the ideology of, of government. They didn't sufficiently appreciate the different ideology of an insurance model compared to a welfare care model. But John, he believes this is slowly changing. From the end of 2016 through to now, we had a change of board and a change of ideology, I think, not, not because of the board. The old board was a really strong board and they were, we were working as hard as we could. But the new board seemed to have the support of a government that wasn't there for the old board. Anyway, the new board was able to introduce an ideology which was closer to the original intention of the scheme. With a fresh board and a new sense of cooperation with the government, John says there have been positive changes. A lot of work went on to a, a new pathway design from 2017 through to 2018 to make the planning process and entry to the scheme a better one for participants. Predominantly face-to-face, -face, more focus to the participant rather than services, so more listening. This year, on July 1st, the NDIS completed its full rollout. Over 400,000 people are now participants of the scheme. More than a third of those are receiving disability support for the very first time. But as the scheme has gone national, not all of the issues have been ironed out. In the next episode, we're taking a look at the scheme in 2020. We'll learn about the nuts and bolts of getting on to the NDIS and hear first-hand experiences of the scheme from those who have felt the life-changing positives. I have got those goals and more. To those who continue to fall through the cracks. I felt disempowered. I felt cheated. I felt disillusioned. The stress it caused me was just unbelievable. I can honestly say that NDIS has broken my spirit. A Nation Changed is hosted by me, Kurt Fernley. Our lead producer is Jake Morgan. Jasmine Mee Lee is our assistant producer. Jess Binneth is executive producer of the series. This podcast is a collaboration between Higher Up Australia and Audiocraft. Subscribe to A Nation Change wherever you listen to your podcast. Listen to episodes individually at higherup.com.au forward slash A Nation Change. There are transcripts too at that same address, higherup.com.au forward slash a nation change.